When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Coaches, today before we get started, I want to thank our sponsor, CoachPad. Uh, no matter if you draw scout cards by hand or use a program on your computer, CoachPad will give you back time by never stuffing a binder again before heading out to practice. First 13.3-inch electronic device allowing coaches to clearly display scout cards outdoors in the sun has been a game changer for programs this past fall and those currently playing all across the country. This new technology allows coaches to coach and not the monotonous task of stuffing and dealing with binders on the practice field. Check out the Coach Pad and Coach Pad Mini on thecoachpad.com. Please make sure you check out our sponsors, our affiliates, and here is another episode of the Gap Down Backer Podcast. Welcome back to another episode of the Gap Down Backer podcast. Um, today we have Coach Scott Kramer, the defensive co- defensive coordinator, because I can't enunciate today, at Verona Area High School in Wisconsin. Coach, how are you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on. It's a real pleasure. Well, I'm glad I could have you on, Coach. Um, kind of before we get started, though, I mean, you kind of have an interesting hit background and history and kind of where you end- how you end up where you are with your your dad being a coach and you playing at Western Michigan. Do you want to kind of get into that a little bit on kind of your background? Sure. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Try to summarize quickly without the boring your audience, but it is kind of interesting. My dad, I was a longtime coach. He's a hall of fame um, coach here in, in Wisconsin, won a couple state championships at Grafton high school. And um, I, I played for him and, and coached for him. It was my first coaching job uh, out of college. Um, but he he has a very you know interesting background. He was uh, played at the University of Illinois um, and then was a GA uh, at the University of Michigan during the transition from Bump Elliott to Bo Schembechler. And um, so those connections, uh, you know, his connections run far and wide, and I benefited from those. So. Um, People that have been mentors to me were people that he recruited or he coached um, in in both college and in high school. Um, he went on to the um, to Northern Illinois University, where um, that's where I kind of grew up. Uh, and I could talk about that later if you want. But I remember uh, hanging 16 millimeter uh, film clips on our kitchen wall with masking tape, helping my dad. I thought it was the coolest thing in the world, and that was my introduction to football scouting and the in the seventies. And from there we moved to Grafton. Um, and, uh, you know, that's where I kind of grew up and played, but so my, um, connections, you know, run through my dad, I was recruited by, uh, Greg Madison, who those of you in Ohio and Michigan and, and many other places may remember, but he retired, uh, after being a defensive coordinator at Ohio state for a couple of years. Um, 
I was recruited by him at, at Western Michigan University and, um, you know, still in, in touch with him, just saw him this summer and he was a huge influence. Um, our coaching staff at Western Michigan, uh, Jack Harbaugh was our head coach my freshman year. John, who's now the head coach for the Ravens, was a GA and my position coach. Brady Hoke was our D-line coach and he's the head coach at San Diego State. Coach Madison was our defensive coordinator. And the list runs on, and the irony of the whole thing is that they were fired after my freshman year. And it was an early introduction into uh, football coaching, I guess, for me. But, um, you know, things worked out for them. They were young coaches, and Western maybe didn't have the resources that they needed. Or, you know, I think they were just developing. But um, to be in a room, uh, even, you know, as an 18-year-old with all those coaches, man, I just – soak that in and I think I was able to soak it in because my dad had taught me to soak it in and it, you know I grew up around football so um, that was uh, you know I, I was so lucky just to have that and then we got a new coaching staff at Western uh, coach Al Moldy, Moldy was our head coach uh, Larry Edlin was our defensive coordinator Dana Chambers was my position coach and those guys all knew football well and um, you know I'm still in touch with those those two but I think maybe the point of the story is um, just growing up around football and seeing my dad, you know, having meetings like this, uh, whatever these look like back in the seventies and eighties, certainly not on zoom, but just knowing that you had to listen to other coaches um, and kind of spread your wings as much as possible. That was great for me because when I was in a room with people who obviously knew what they were talking about, I, I knew enough to, to listen and to learn. So that's kind of my, Background. Obviously, you're a son of a coach. I mean, I'm always curious when I talk to sons of coaches because they seem, I don't want to phrase this, different. Um, I don't, I, or advanced, really, honestly. And you can I look like at that. Probably the same, but just... <laughs> I, I mean, like, I mean, whether you're looking at high profile or low profile guys, the obvious high profile guys, like Lane Kiffin is the, the like example of that pedigree. Bill Belichick is the example of that pedigree. Nick Saban is a son of a coach. Like, why do you, and I mean, this is very opinion based, but why do you think sons of coaches are so successful? Is it because they're around it their whole life? Is it because they just had different experience? What kind of, as a son of a coach, think helped lead you to be more successful? Yeah, uh, that's a really great question. Um, and I, I don't know that I've given it maybe as no, enough thought as I should, but uh, I can offer you my opinion. Um, at least in my case, um, my dad, um, you know, when I expressed my interest in football, my dad was willing to give me whatever we wanted to do. He, he wasn't, both he and my mom, you know, they weren't those parents, you know, like the high pressure parents. They wanted me to enjoy um, playing. But I also got to be around, uh, like I said, I got to be around coaches. I mean, you know, it, the list of name goes on and I don't want to want this to sound like name dropping and things like that, but um, you may remember the name Mike Hankowitz who retired uh, from Northwestern a couple of years ago, defensive coordinator, right? Well, my dad was involved in the recruiting of him at the University of Michigan as a GA. So I got to, like, when I was in maybe middle school, I got to sit in at conversations or just be in the family room when Coach Hankowitz and my dad were talking at our kitchen table, you know, and, and what I learned what this is my take and maybe I can spin this forward. I learned to appreciate kind of the backstory of football and the combination of art 
and science and psychology that football coaching was that maybe a co a, a player that doesn't have a coach in their house can't appreciate. So maybe that lends to the success. Um, I've now coached both of our sons and I've tried to take the same approach. Like, Hey, if you love it, I'll tell you what I can, but I'm not going to push you on it. Um, you know, so I, you know, I think there's a million ways to go about it, but I would imagine it's like anything. If you're, a, if you're a chemist or a politician or a football coach, if you're, if you're able to see the, the backstory of it, if you're mm -hmm. able to, to hear all the effort and all the thinking and all the care that goes into it, you learn to appreciate it. You know, I, I remember my dad having shoot my classmates uh, over to our house when they were going through something, you know, whether it was something home or whatever. So you see that it's just more than putting on a polo shirt with your school's colors, you know, and, and uh, maybe that's lends itself to the success that coach, um, sons of coaches have. Yeah. Now you also, I mean, you also mentioned Coach Madison and the Harbaugh's at Western Michigan, and I, I'm and Coach Hoke, and, I, and I'm really curious, especially what you brought for Coach Madison. Obviously, obviously the Harbaugh's are the Harbaugh's, and they have a great success historically. Um, but I think if anybody that follows defensive football. I mean, you're you're also obviously a high school DC. I, I've spent time as a high school DC. Um, probably, especially in the Midwest, knows who Coach Madison is. I mean, Coach Madison is a very good defensive coach. Uh, spent time at University of Michigan, Ohio State, amongst other wide ranging. Some time in the league. Um, Notre Dame. Um, what did you take from him? What do you still take from him? What what do you still call him about things? How does that process work for him? Um, and then also you mentioned, I think you mentioned the Harbaugh's was your position coach. What did you take from, I, I get the year, but I mean, I have coaches who coached me for a year in high school and they still have a gigantic impact on me. That doesn't like a coach is your coach is your coach. Yeah. Yeah. Well, coach Madison, obviously, I mean, all of those guys speak for themselves and, and really in a, in a, you know, from, from strictly a football standpoint, from a, you know, day to day standpoint, I only got to be around him for what, four or five months, right? Because it was my freshman year. And then they were, you know, relieved um, after the end of my freshman year. But um, I can tell you just a couple quick stories that maybe highlight what I've taken from them. And what, I, what I've taken from that whole group is, um, is care. Uh, just showing how much you care and um, all the other stuff kind of takes care of itself. So um, Coach Madison, uh, just a couple quick things about him. We uh, we knew in, when we got to camp my freshman year, you know, you're a freshman in college and you are scared and nervous and everything like that. And he uh, showed up to my room during camp, my, my roommate's room during camp late one night. And, you know, like every freshman, you're like, God, I don't know if this is for me. He shows up. So here's this you know, our defense coordinator, the guy's in charge, and he shows up with a bag of chocolate chip cookies that his wife had made. And he sits down on our bed with us and just kind of says, you're going to be okay. You know, it's hard. Uh, and, it, you know, it's only going to get harder, but you're going to be okay. And then we just kind of talked about, he's from Wisconsin. He grew up in Madison, Wisconsin. Uh, so we talked about Wisconsin. It's midnight, you know, we got meetings probably at six or seven the next morning. And he's sitting there with us and just hanging out. And uh, I'm like, okay, well, 
we'll survive. We'll make it, you know. Fast forward several years, um, my two sons were born. Coach Madison, I think, was with the Ravens at the time and came to spoke at a came to speak at a clinic here in Madison. Um, so I took Ben and Matt, our sons, to um, just to say thanks to Coach Madison more than anything else. Just say, look, you, um, you know, you brought me to Western. I met my wife. I got my degree. I now have kids. And, da, 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 da. and I said, I don't know how I could ever repay you. And he and this was the important lesson. He said, the only thing you need to do is coach kids so that they want to be coaches. And uh, man, that was what more do you need, right? You know, um, and uh, yeah, and then you asked about the Harbaugh's. Coach Harbaugh um, now lives in Ann Arbor. When he was living in Milwaukee, uh, long story, his daughter married Tom Crean, who was then the head coach at Marquette. Um, the basketball coach at Marquette. I got a hold of Coach Harbaugh. And this is like 2012, 2013. So it was long past when we had played. And I got a hold of him. And I said, Coach, I'd love for you to come talk to our team for an afternoon. He was there the next day. Yeah. And, uh, so it's just care like that. And John, John Harbaugh, I have not talked to for a long time, but man, he he was a GA, and he just, you know, he just showed care. I I, I don't have a better term for it other than just, you know. Um, you can be tough and you can be hard and demanding and stuff like that, but just care. And those, you know, when you're in a, an impressionable teenager, the, those lessons stick. Yeah, sure. Exactly. And, and, that, and like I said, I think that's a good example of how coaches have a positive impact. And I think that's kind of what we try to do on a daily basis, especially, I mean, this, this probably won't come out till January, February, but this time of year around Christmas, the impact that we can have on, but in kind of moving on, I mean, you've obviously had a very successful career um, as a defensive coordinator and just coaching in general. Um, why, I mean, before we get into specifics of stuff, why do you think you, it, obviously all the stuff we've talked about has helped lead to your success. Obviously talent helps. I mean, I, I'm not going to sugarcoat it. We all know like our good years, we have a good talent. I mean, but why, why else do you think you've been so successful at what you've been able to and and have been able to accomplish over the past 20 plus years yeah well good players help <laughs> yeah uh you know um and, and all kind of coach speak and everything aside um uh so dave richardson is our head coach and he's he just retired uh he just finished his 22nd year at at verona it was my 21st year so um i think that continuity is really has been really helpful um we did not know one another when we began coaching together back in 2001 uh obviously we know one another quite well now but just that ability to give a head nod or something during practice and know exactly what one another is thinking and and you know what what dave wants um that's been helpful Kind of all the stuff we've been talking about for the last few minutes uh, has been huge. Uh, you know, I'll start with my dad. I'm, I'm able to ask him if he's 80. He celebrated his 80th birthday in June, um, but he still follows the game, and he and my mom still come to games, and he still knows what he's talking about. So having having a resource like that uh, is great. Um, our talent has, you know, we've had talented players. I don't think it's been any different than anyone else's in our league or in our area. So then it just kind of comes down to um, studying teaching methods and knowing 
how each of your players learns um, and knowing what they care about and, and trying to emphasize the importance of having them care about one another, making it fun um, and making things, you know, um, bending learning towards their needs. Um, that has been a big change for me. I'm not a teacher. I'm not in the school. So I study teaching methods a lot um, in the off season and what used to be a half an hour talk of, with me on a whiteboard is now a seven minute meeting with a couple of hotspots on video screen pointing out to them um, things that you know we did in practice that show up in game film and then going to our individual meetings. But I ask our position coaches, if you're talking for 10 minutes, that's, that's too long. So I think it's just been a combination of all that. You know, it, it's players and that's coach speak too, but it, you know, my goodness, if you don't have decent players, you're you're in trouble. So that is a credit to what Dave has developed, um, you know, in our off-season program, things like that. And you know, we've had our struggles too, like everyone does. But yeah, can you build off that a little bit? Because I I think that's I'm always curious about how people teach, about how people teach approach teaching methods. Because you mentioned obviously, and you're right. I mean. We can't stand in front of a whiteboard for 30 minutes anymore like we used to, or like we, we did when we, I mean, when we were younger. Um, but you, how has that evolved? And what does that kind of look like for you guys? Especially because I'm, I'm always really curious when people install, because there's is there a better way I could teach my kids? Um, how has that, what, what is kind of an install? Stalling your defense during the summer. Obviously, you have the benefit of you've been in the same place for a while. So it's kind of kids. I mean, unless there's some major changes, kids know what's going on. Like there's might be a minor adjustments from year to year, but how how do you approach that teaching? What does that look like come the summer slash fall? Yeah, yeah. So we don't. Um, you know, I I know in other states there is uh, you know an extended summer period. We have. Um, five contact days in the summer. And by contact, it just means um, coaches in contact with players. So it's essentially five practices during the course of the summer before preseason camp starts. Defensively, we spend a lot of that time um, uh, in what well, we call it cross training. Some people call it circuit training or individual, but basically we are reintroducing defensive skills to all of our players, freshmen through seniors, um, and also trying to figure out who does what best. Um, so we make sure that all of our coaches have eyes on all of the kids who show an interest in playing defense. So that's our, during our contact period. We don't do a lot of team. Uh, we do a little bit of install, but not much. The continuity piece has been really good because now, you know, what we do, they do in our youth program to some extent. Um, so, and kids just kind of know our defense um, pretty well. I mean, you know, then we get into preseason camp and those non-padded days and things like that. And that's where we do our install. But what I've done, you know, we have, like every coach, you have kind of this wish list of, God, if we had infinite time and infinite days and all of our kids were uh, smart and, you know, whatever, and not don't have anything else, we have this huge laundry list. So, right, like, oh, I'd love to do all this stuff. But what I've done, uh, what has been helpful for us is we have what we call a core progression and it kind of exp explains itself, but we put in our, our three stuff, three, four stuff, our four, two, five stuff, just the base, like what do we need to carry into game one? What do we need to carry in 
to our first conference game. And those are the things that we hit on first. Um, and then we kind of sprinkle things in as we go. I think the biggest impact is maybe not what we do, but how we do it. Um, my dad, as I mentioned, my dad's a coach and, and he always comes to a preseason practice and, and he just shakes his head and laughs. Our, truly our meeting room, um, I want it to, to hit all the senses, the touch and uh, smell and taste and sound. So um, we have music playing uh, through the course of our meetings that you can probably barely, I'm barely audible over. We have a disco ball going. They always have uh, snacks to eat and, and, and we have the oil incense thing going. So it's like, you want that, you want that learning experience to be the highlight of their day. You know, those 15 or 20 minutes to be the highlight of the day. You want it to taste good and smell good and look good and sound good and everything else. So uh, I think that's been as big a part as what we teach is just them it, looking forward to learning, looking forward to the learning environment. Yeah, no, exactly. Um, and, and you kind of build off that one of those answers is um, obviously you float between a three, four and a four, two um, with given personnel and schemes and all that. Um, and I'm always curious why people choose schemes. Why is the three, four, your base scheme? The three, four is my base scheme because that's what I grew up with. <laughs> uh, you know, as I mentioned, you know, my dad went back to the Michigan slant and angle 50. Uh, I know that defense, uh, man, I know that defense as well as I know any subject that I was taught in school. At least I think I do. Uh, I should qualify that. That's what I grew up with. And I, and, uh, you know, the, the whole concept behind, behind slant and angle um, and dropping a safety down and things that, you know, um, I think a lot of coaches look at it now and kind of the rip Liz stuff. And, uh, you know, certainly there's nuances and new developments to it, but that's, uh, to me, that's, um, that's the base defense. You know, that's what we've been, doing all along. So that's where I start. Um, obviously with the way the game has changed and um, spreading things out, you want to be able to go between three down and four down. And I didn't realize it um, even back, you know, when my, when my, again, when my dad was coaching it or even with coach Madison or coach Edlin in college when we were doing it. Um, but that was happening um, maybe unknowingly going from a three down to four down looks just as the game evolved. So that is uh, the reason we go in between and we teach it, um, we try to teach it seamlessly, right? So we, we have a Verona package, which is our three, four calls under that umbrella. And we have a wildcat package, which is our four, two, five under that umbrella. But the calls um, within those are, are interchangeable. They, you know, they just know that the alignment's a bit different and we shift from one to the other. Um, you know, pre-snap and, and uh, as most people do, I, like I told you before we started, I don't think we're doing anything revolutionary, but that's really the reason behind my, um, behind us using the three, four as our, as our install is just, that's, that's what I know the best. I, I think. Now, how has that defense though evolved over the course of your tenure? Cause obviously the old, the old 53, four slant angle, that 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 and, and I think I think most of us defensive coaches have seen the old uh, video, the old VHS tapes that's been converted to uh, of the Michigan coaches talking and the the drill film and um, 
how has that evolved for you? Obvi- obviously, I mean, you're not a pure 50 essentially anymore, but how has, how has your system evolved over the course in the past 20 years? But you probably really can say the past 10 because with the mass advancement of the spread and concepts and the increased usage of, say, zone reads and RPOs, how has your system evolved over the course of that time? Yeah. Um, yeah, so on, on the big, on you know, the high level, um, I would say that a couple of big changes, and I, I don't want to say this one's the biggest one, or whatever, but a couple of big changes are is the change from kind of old spot drop um, zone coverage to pattern match coverage. That um, has been a, a big change, um, you know, probably over the last 10 or 15 years that we've used and that we've seen. Um, you know, a 50 defense used to be really just a spot spot drop cover three coverage. And now um, it is more um, pattern, at least the way we do it is more pattern match. So it becomes man coverage after receivers declare their routes. I don't think that's anything different than what everyone's doing um, kind of across the country with pattern match coverage, but it becomes the tighter coverage. Um, the other thing is the use of the fire zone blitzes or whatever zone blitzes or, or whatever you want to call them, the use of those on any down and the aggressiveness of it. Um, again, early in my coaching career and even growing up, the concept of playing offense on defense, two things, the concept of playing offense on defense and um, turnovers being takeaways were, those were impressionable things to me. Um, just, Defense in general, the words that are used on defense in general are on your heels. You're defending. The offense is turning the ball over, and we wanted to change those to takeaways and you know playing offense and defense. So the use of a fire zone or a blitz on uh, you know a first down, first and ten situation or a second and medium situation that was unheard of in the 70s or in the early 80s, and now uh, you've progressed. And now it's you got to be able to bring everybody at any point. Um, so those have been the, the, the big changes to me. And then I think, you know, on a, on a smaller scale, just the technique, um, especially D line play and linebacker play, you know, the 50 defense was always close on the edge, right? Never spill anything. Um, linebackers had their gap fits and now there are situations where we want our outside linebackers to spill out to a safety and and use a different technique than that so you know not to get too into the weeds but on a, on a smaller scale those are the, some of the technique changes or some of the fit changes what ha, what has evolved okay now when you say pattern matched are you talking more so just and part of his clarification to my audience is are you talking more ripple is cover three stuff? Yeah, most certainly. Yeah. Yeah. Now when, when you, and cause I, I have a buddy who also runs mm-hmm. ripple is and it's finding information on it is, is a whole nother concept. Um, and there's more now, um, obviously my YouTube channel, coach Vass has 18,000 resources that he, <laughs> he drops everywhere. But where, when you first looked at adding ripple is match, where did you go for that? And what was that progression like going from spot drop, which I think we've all played at some point and coached at some point to, I mean, Ripple is, which is, as Nick Saban would say, just that hybrid one, three coverage that you have to use to stop Dan Marino. Um, 
<laughs> yeah, he has a great quote about that, right? Uh, yep. Yeah. yeah um, as far as resources, it, you know, it, it again is just it was me talking to people, um, everyone from my dad on down to high school coaches. There's some really talented, knowledgeable high school coaches here in Wisconsin that um, I talked to, um, and and you just kind of filtered things out uh, you know I talked to, to some college coaches too and learned what they were doing and you just I mean it is high school so I would love to sit, tell you that we're doing all these nuanced things and everything but these are the same kids that are worried you know they're worried about getting the keys to mom's Toyota after the practice so uh, you can't fill their heads with too much information you, you got to make it uh, as economical as possible but um, so that's how we learned it and we just wanted to make it um, for me i wanted to make it so that we could di dictate the drop down safety where that was going if it was going to passing strength or to the heavier light side as far as run you know that's what we refer to as run strength or drop it down to a particular player or position on the field um and then we just knew that tight we needed to tighten up our coverage um techniques so that was the on the edge with the corners, that was the idea behind the pattern match there is just allow them to release a route if it's immediately declared under flat, but if not, then they lock onto that. Um, the other thing that has been really helpful, and I just want to mention this too, is about 12 or 15 years ago, we started in Wisconsin, I, I and a few other coaches started a thing that we call a defensive summit for lack of a better word, but it's a day of just coming together and it's teams uh, that have played, it's defensive coordinators and defensive coaches, about a 10 of us, 10 schools that have played one another in the playoffs and, you know, compete against one another, things like that. But it's the, the only rule is that there's no secrets. And we come together in a room for a day, usually in February, um, and just here are the problems I'm having. How do you guys handle it? And that was very instrumental to me, this kind of piecing together where our defense is now, because uh, again, it just kind of came back to listening to what other people are doing, the trouble they're having, the success they're having, and how you know how they're solving problems. Yeah. Now, continue, continue with the Rip Liz stuff, and, and I'm curious about the practice portion of it. Is yep. when you installed Rip Liz, how did that change practice structure, drilling? Or did it? I, I, obviously, some drills will change, but how overall did that change how you practice, how you taught coverage? Because obviously, it's a different way of teaching coverage than spot drop. So how how did that conceptually change? Yeah, great question. Um, we one of the things that has been really helpful for us is um, running uh, a half line. We we call it uh, outside drill, but it's just basically a half line pass drill, and it's um, we so when we run rip liz we feel like we or you know what people are calling rip liz we um have the ability to make any of our four dbs um in our three four stuff or our five dbs and our four two five stuff make them the drop down so we can drop a corner you know either corner down or either safety so we do this half line drill and it's just defensive players against defense usually but we'll just and it's a walking speed or you know jogging speed and we'll just say you know our call for the corner is the is the drop down guy and here are a co couple common routes that we're going to see 
um, the Rob combinations we're going to see. So we'll go R2 against an offense is two or an offense is three. And it's just, it gives us the ability to um, coach it a little bit tighter and slow things down. So that's been the, the change. So we took time out of the big picture uh, skeleton pass seven on seven stuff and made it half line. Um, and yeah, I guess, you, you know, to continue on that, um, practice for us has become a lot more moving meetings um, instead of classroom meetings, but on our feet, five or 10 minutes here, here or there through the course of practice. Okay, let's, let's work on field safety as a drop down. Here's three route combinations. Let's spin through those quick. You can take five minutes in a practice segment. So just the, the progression of practice um, time has, has changed for us just to add that moving meeting element. Okay. Well, I'm just curious because I just want, again, going back to I'm always interested why or how people do that. Um, really, the last set of questions for you, and I, and I know you've done some stuff on this before, but I'm always curious, especially as, as I head into our next season, is game planning. I always, I'm always interested in people how to attack things and look at things. Um, first, how, how, is that, how has your game planning evolved over the past 20 years? I'm always looking to see how people's transition over the years. So first, how has your game planning evolved? Well, uh, huddle has been a, a blessing and a curse to all of us, right? Because of the existence of, of you know, I mean, just the internet, use of internet in general. If you can, if you can believe it, Nick, I was coaching before there was an internet, for God's sake. So, uh, you know, trying to get a hold of videotape and things like that. I mean, that's obviously changed. So just the access to data has changed. For me personally, um, what was really helpful for me, um, as I mentioned to you before, I'm not a, I'm not a teacher. I'm part owner of a civil engineering company in Madison. Um, we have some really smart people that work for us. So about, I think it was about 18 years ago, I sat down with some of our engineers, uh, some who were football fans and some who had never seen a football game in their life. And I said, teach me everything you can about Excel. So I set up a pretty extensive workbook. Some people have seen it like on the internet or I've talked about it before, a pretty extensive workbook of, uh, that involves game planning and practice planning and our call sheet and ties all that stuff together just for efficiency so that we are practicing against the things that we think we are most likely to see in a game. Um, and so to back to your original question, the the game planning piece of it has been a bit more data driven in the initial phases. You know, when you're first getting ready for for a team, just trying to gather as much data as you can. But then it does come down to gut, and it comes down to how you present it to your players. Um, and you can't give them all that data, but if you can give them a couple things, right? Like, you know, maybe 80% of it you cut out, but there maybe are a couple formations or a couple tips, right? That are just like we would want when we were sophomores in a social studies class. Like I want to peg those couple essay questions, right? And I want to know them. So those are the things that we look for are these, like the nuggets, right? Like, especially third down, um, how can we get off the field? If they give us this, we know what we're doing. And then that confidence builds on itself. So um, the ability to access data, process that data, and then winnow it down to 
um, teachable pieces has been the biggest change for me. Okay. Now, at the same time, that, that all that data-driven information, how has that affected your call sheet over the years? Has your call sheet gotten smaller? Has it gotten larger? Has just massive columns just X'd out and put new ones in and the focus change? How has that data now push your call sheet for a game? Obviously, there's a lot of stuff that's still gut-oriented in a game. Um, I don't think that that now should and will never go away, but how has that information modified how you, what you take into a game day situation? Yeah. Um, I would say that my call sheet, I've never, I've never used everything on my call sheet, um, going into a game, but what it has allowed me to do is you know, looking at film and looking, just considering games against these opponents in the past to try to play out as many situations as possible in my head. And if this were to happen, what would we call? The thing, the thing about it to me is that you cannot, you cannot give your players every situation. If they're going to do this, we're going to do this. You you can't, and especially now, just with the way they learn and their, um, I don't want to say lack of attention span, but just a shortened attention span, but with heightened awareness. What I try to do as often as possible is if, if you get this call, if I give you guys this call, we're doing it because this is happening. So it's almost like a, a internal alarm bell goes on. So um, my call sheet is... Um, probably a bit more extensive than it was 10 years ago is in terms of situational things, but then it really comes down to God. I, you know, and if a, if a call that I have under first and 10 in the green zone of the field is working, we yeah. may use it in the red zone on third down, you know, I mean, the, the, you're foolish to go against that, but at least all the data allows you to identify potential situations. You know, if you, if you have the time to, sit and think through it like well if this occurs what would we want to do and then you can put that down and and then if it happens if it plays out then you're at least you have something that you know you thought through not in the spur of the moment yeah no, no, i get it this is uh, i'm just always curious on how things have changed um kind of b before we go coach i mean obviously i mean i'll, I'll phrase it this way um when when did you choose when and why? Because we've hit on the four two a little bit, and I want to swing back to it before we go. Is when and why did you add that package to your defense? Um, what was the motivator, and where does that kind of helped you at? Yeah, well, it's another coaching connection thing, um, and so uh, we were running. Um, it, it was a, a three four. Um, kind of hybrid three four that we would not hybrid but we would go over and under um, and I knew that we needed to have uh, the ability to adjust and the ability to have some hybrid players um, as formation started to get wide and this was probably like 2004 2005 um, at the same time I ran into Jim Knowles who was the defensive coordinator at Western Michigan University um, and uh, he is you know, someone that ever, you know, has been in the news lately, obviously. Um, and he, he has become such a great friend and mentor. He is so giving of his time and information. So I spent a fair amount of time with him 
just on the phone or going over to Western and meeting and then just talking to them more about the 425. And the reason that it appealed to me is it not only is like the classic 425, but we've developed the uh, ability to use hybrid players. And I talked about that before, just the cross training. So we'll, if we have a player that we can kind of move around from linebacker to a rusher to a safety, we will do that. And it just, it, it just gives you the ability even in game to fix things, you know, and um, that has been so instrumental to us where we go into a game think, okay, we're going to be in a three, four. Well, we'll, we'll run our four, two, five stuff, but then our four, two, five stuff as crazy as it sounds. We can make a few calls and it almost becomes a three, three, five. And because yeah. you have this adjuster guy that some years he's a, you know, a sectional qualifier at 160 pounds in wrestling. And some years he's a three technique, 210 pound guy that also plays basketball. And, um, but, but talking with Jim, especially about that, um, has been really, really helpful. If we got, I'm, I'm comparing a local piano player to Beethoven here. So I mean, it's, it's <laughs> a little bit apples and oranges, but he, he has this unique ability to kind of, sift things down like hey scott we're doing x y and z you may want to try x or a subset yeah. of x you know and, and that's god that's been so helpful he's just been so giving and uh and asked for a better a better relationship i wish i could give something back to him yeah, yeah. well it'll, it'll be interesting to see what he does at his new, new place um yeah. obviously he'll be about 45 minutes from me so that'll be nice um but oh god yes i mean like i said uh, me and you both let try to help basket him on his podcast and um obviously jim is a great resource with a great mind and um hopefully he he has a tremendous amount of success at ohio state um which is is the goal and would make everybody in my state very happy uh um but yeah um uh, coach i i count i do want to ask you one more thing before we go and i i keep always adding one more thing but talk to me because you you mentioned that coaches summit earlier and it's kind of had me thinking while you've been talking where one where i mean you mentioned a little bit idea but where did you guys like okay this is why we're going to do this this is why we need to do this let's how did how did that all orchestrate and then um you've obviously brought the rip liz stuff with you out of that um but how helpful do you think it is for a group of five, 10, 15 coaches to get together in an off season and just throw stuff at a wall. And how long do these summits usually last? Is it like a, one or two hours? Is it five hours? Do we get lunch? How, how, how long does that process go? Yeah. Um, no, it's an all day thing. Um, we, you know, it's probably eight hours, you know, and, and as you can imagine, it involves just some evolves to a few pizzas and, things at the end and that that's fun too but um yeah i can tell you um i was speaking at a clinic uh in north central wisconsin and neil hatfield who was or is the defensive coordinator at hudson um high school which is in wisconsin but up near um minneapolis right on the border he and i were speaking at the same clinic we did not know one another we ended up sitting at the same table uh, maybe for lunch or something like that and really hit it off. He's become a dear friend now. Um, but we were talking about 
the same troubles, you know, like, God, what are you doing here? I don't know. What are you doing here? You know, with this offense or with this formation or, and, you know, then we said, well, we should get together as you do. Right. And then um, I think each of us said, well, if we get together, I'd like to bring these couple other buddies. And so we did it at our high school for the first year. And that was probably uh, mid 2000s, I think, but it was such a great day. We all left there thinking, wow, I, I was able to give something, which we all want to do. And I was able to learn a bunch of stuff, which was great and kind of develop new friendships. And, and then it just evolved, you know? And um, so it's a, yeah, it's a really good day. It's um, we did it via zoom last year because of the pandemic, but um, hopefully this year we're able to get back together. Um, but we've had, yeah, it's, it's just been, it's a good day to sit and, and think and, and just the, you know, there's some people who have been really, really successful, some multiple state champs and things like that in there, but somehow we're able to cast ego aside and just help one another out, you know, fully knowing that we may run into one another in a playoff game and so be it, you know, really appreciate you. This is a great service to the coaching community. I'm, I'm grateful for you doing it. Thank you, coach. Appreciate that. So coaches, again, please, uh, I'll put coaches Twitter in the bio. Uh, please give him a follow. If you have any questions for him, if you want something a little more in depth on his three, four, on the pattern matching, on game planning. Um, I know he did something, I think for granddaddy or something. See, so you did some, I know I saw something on game planning from you somewhere. Um, yeah, so, so, yeah. So, so check that out. Um, make sure you like, share, subscribe, all that lovely little stuff. Check out the sponsors affiliates below. Um, and that's another episode of the uh, Gap Down Backer podcast.